Hello and welcome to the Shepherds and Kings podcast. My name is Jacob Trelor and I'm the founder and the host of this podcast. I'd like to welcome you today. If this is your first time listening, we appreciate you stopping by. And if you've listened for a couple episodes now, we're glad you're back. Shepherds and Kings is all about uh, looking at the life of of David, not exclusively, but using him as a jumping off point to become a better man and a better Christian. Whether you're a shepherd and that's all you ever be, you know, you that's what God has called you to be, we want you to be the best shepherd you can be. Uh, but if God calls you to increase and to become a king, or again, there's plenty of other things that David was and plenty of other roles that you have in your life, we want you to be the best in those areas that you can be as well. We've got a special guest for you today. His name is Chuck Holton. And he's actually one of the reasons uh, that this podcast exists. When my son was born, uh, five years ago now, I went online to find some resources about raising a son. His book was the first one I picked up, uh, Making Men, which we talk about today. Um, But uh, read through the book, looked in the back of the book, and there were some other recommendations, uh, some other you know resources, some other books he had, and so I got some more books and found some podcasts and uh, eventually led me to to doing this and uh, God God impressing on my heart to start this podcast. I'm super excited to share this conversation with you. Um, he's a super interesting guy and has done everything and been everywhere and I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Our guest today is Chuck Holton. He's an army ranger turned stockbroker who is now a best-selling author of seven books. He's a journalist and war correspondent, a public speaker, an all-around adventurer, as well as a husband and a father of five. It's good to have you with us today. Yeah, uh, you're a little behind on your your intro there. I'm up to 10 books now. (laughs) 10 books? Holy cow. Okay, that's awesome. I know you uh, collaborated with uh, Oliver North. Is it in- that's including those books? Right. Yeah, that's um, – so I worked with him on several. I, I try to write as a business, so I try to write things people will actually want to read. And uh, so I've done everything from fiction, nonfiction, biography, you name it. Great, great. Uh, so take us back to uh, the beginning of your – I guess your manhood journey, if you want to call it that, was there like a light bulb uh, moment for you where you kind of said, you know, here's the kind of Christian man I need to be, or was there a gradual process that you, that led you to a realization? No, I think uh, it was just a process of smashing into walls and uh, doing lots of things wrong uh, and and learning the hard way. I'm kind of one of those people that kind of was was not smart enough to learn from other people's examples very often. I typically had to try it myself and find out why it didn't work. So I don't, uh, I'm not proud of that. But uh, as a young man, especially my time in the military, uh, you know, I basically ran around and made every mistake I could and uh, learned, learned from those uh, painful experiences. Uh, as they, uh, John Wayne liked to say, uh, life's tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. <laughs> right. Uh, is that sort of a motivation for you to write, uh, especially towards younger men? I know you mentioned a little bit about that in prowess. Right. Yeah, very much so. This is uh, kind of a way that I feel like maybe God can redeem the mistakes of my past is by uh, helping other young men not make those same mistakes. Sure. Um, so you've gone through 
you know, we talked about, I mentioned some of those uh, life changes, career changes that you've gone through. Can you kind of walk us through your mindset between all of those? Those are kind of major changes. And I also, if I have my information on this correct, uh, you've, you know, moved uh, many times and now are living in uh, Panama, also West Virginia. Is that correct? Yeah, I live in Panama full time, and okay. we still we have a home in West Virginia that we uh, visit for about a month in the summer sure. every year. Um, so I, after I left the military and uh, you know went to college, I flew helicopters in the National Guard while I was in college. Um, thought maybe I'd want to do that for a career, but very quickly found out it's not as glamorous as it sounds. It's more like being a glorified taxi driver, <laughs> and um, it wasn't very exciting. So. Uh, I got the opportunity to become a stockbroker because uh, the father of one of my ranger buddies was a broker and offered me the job. He showed me, he he taught me a lot uh, that my parents uh, had not been able to teach me about uh, the time value of money and, uh, you know, just uh, anything financial related. This guy had a big pile of money and it's, you know, if you want to learn about money, Learn it from somebody who's been very successful at it is a good way to do it. Sure. Um, so he kind of took me under his wing, uh, made me a, a partner in his business. And uh, so I worked for him for about 10 years and made lots and lots of money. Uh, and I had all these very wealthy clients who at some point said to me, you know, I just wish I had spent more time with my kids. And I was starting my family, had several little kids at that point, And uh, sort of realized that I was heading down that same path. I uh, The brokerage business is a very uh, fast-paced lifestyle more than a job. And I left the house about the time my kids woke up in the morning and I came home about the time they went to bed. And so they knew there was this man that lived in the house named Daddy, but they didn't really know much about me and I didn't really have time to pour into them like I wanted to. And I made a realization at some point that uh, that wasn't the life I wanted, that there was this very short window of time when my kids would be young and malleable and would want to spend time with me. And that for that short window of time, I wanted to be there and I wanted to, wanted to pour into them. And maybe after that, uh, when they, There comes that day when your kids wake up and decide that you're a drooling moron and don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. So uh, when that day came, then I could always go back and make all the money I wanted. But in between, there was no amount of money in the world that would be worth missing out on that time with my kids. So I started praying about it. Lord, show me a way that I can restructure my life to not have that regret. And one of the ways that the Lord brought me was uh, to to start diversifying my cash flow, finding other ways to bring in money. Most people just have one form of cash flow, their job. And I was no different. Uh, All of my, not only my income, but my benefits, my stock options, my retirement plan, my health insurance, everything was all tied up in that same brokerage job. And So I had to do what the job required, and I was kind of a slave to that. So I started looking for ways to diversify my cash flow so that I could uh, get out from under that. 
the writing came, writing was one way I did that. There were some other investments we made and things that, that helped. And long story short, it finally came to a point where God was started to make it clear that he wanted me to go full time as a writer. And that's a scary proposition because, uh, Christian writers, uh, many people don't know this, but, uh, even popular Christian writers probably don't make enough money to live on. Uh, it's not a really profitable business. And uh, it's a good side hustle, perhaps, but uh, you don't you don't make money you make enough money writing books to to live on typically. And but God was making it very clear that's what He wanted me to do. And I was telling God, uh, "Wait, God, you're making a mistake here." I said, "You know, I've been starved to death. I can't I can't fulfill my duty to provide for my family uh, being a writer." And God was saying, "No, I want you to be a full time writer." And I. Remember a moment uh, I was at a writer's conference uh, and I got a chance to sit next to Randy Alcorn, who's kind of one of my, my heroes. Uh, He's a well-known Christian author. Got next, got sat next to him on a bus going to dinner. And I explained to him my dilemma. Uh, I felt God was calling me to write full time, but I knew I couldn't make enough money at it. And um, what should I do? because I have this responsibility biblically to provide for my, my family. And Randy looked at me and said, wait a minute, who, who's been providing for your family all this time uh, all along? And I said, okay, well, I, I get what you're going, get where you're going with that. Uh, you know, I said, of course it's the Lord who provides for me and my family. And he said, it's your job to be obedient. It's, it, it's not your job to provide for your family. It's your job to be obedient to the Lord's calling in your life. And if you'll be obedient, then would you rather be a writer with God's blessing or be a stockbroker without it? And I, I thought, ooh, <laughs> okay, uh, that uh, that makes sense. So I went and I, I'm kind of hard-headed. So I said, Lord, look, I just want to make sure that this is not my, I, I know my heart is deceitful and wicked. I just want to make sure that this is not my heart leading me astray because I want to be famous or something. So give me some kind of confirmation that this is what you want me to do and I'll, I'll do it. Well, I had been writing a series of articles for focus on the family and uh, I had made contact with an older guy that I wanted to interview. And I just contacted him one time, but um, he, he called me back uh you know, not long after that. And he said, uh, Mr. Holton, this is, I feel really weird about this because I never do this sort of thing, but I just feel really strong that I'm supposed to give you a message. And I said, oh, okay, what's that? And he said, well, I was in business for 40 years and I made millions of dollars. And then he started to cry on the phone. And he said, um, but you know what? I would give up every penny today to spend one more hour with my son who just died of cancer at age 39. And now he's like sobbing into the phone and he's like, I don't know why, but I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you not to make that mistake. So I said, okay, Lord, I, I can take a hand, you know? So I went in the next day to the office and uh, talked to my, my partner. I understand he was grooming me to take over his business and he made about $250,000 a month. So that's what I was giving up. Um, and, and, and told him, look, I got to go. And he said, what, you know? And so I explained everything that had happened. And he said, well, to be honest with you, I regret not spending more time with my kids too. So even that much money was not enough to, to, 
get rid of that regret. So it made me feel like I'd really done the right thing. And I went full-time as a writer. We really struggled for a while. took about a 90% pay cut. And um, just uh, over time, God started bringing little opportunities. Uh, I've got an opportunity to, to, you know, kind of start working as a journalist a little bit. Uh, That came out of the blue. That was just something God brought to me. I didn't pursue it. And uh, long story short, you know, within about a year, within about a year's time, we were in a much better financial position than we had been when I'd been making all that money, even though I wasn't making all that money anymore. It just got through just miraculous set of circumstances, paid off our house, uh, got us a new house that was much bigger, paid off all our debts, all our bills. I, it was amazing. And Randy was was right when he said, you know, would you rather do, you know, be obedient and have God's blessing or do what you want to do and not have it? So that was a really good learning experience for sure. In uh, in Making Men, you talk about the SHAPE acronym. Uh, can you break that down a little bit for sure. us? Sure. Uh, basically, I, what I tried to do was to come up with a a curriculum for young men to teach them the facets of a good man. How to be a man uh, in the most simple, easy to understand form possible. And I just took all of the accumulated wisdom that I picked up from older men that I interviewed uh, from the biblical stories of men who did it right and men who did it wrong. And then from the manhood rituals of uh, ancient Romans, Greeks, Hebrews, Spartans, you know, you, you name it. Uh, just about every ancient culture had a manhood ritual. So uh, I tried to kind of boil down all of the similarities of those things to their kind of most foundational precepts and then create an acronym out of that that uh, could function as a measuring stick for a young man. Because uh, young men, at some point, they all start to ask themselves that question. Like, what do I have to do to know that I'm a man and to let the world know that I'm a man? And a lot of the unhealthy behaviors we see young men engage in are just them trying to answer that question. So for my own sons, I wanted them to have a solid measuring stick, something better than my own flawed example to look at. Um, when they started to ask that question so that they wouldn't be acting out of their weakness to trying to, you know, put a tattoo in the middle of their face or, or paint flames on the side <laughs> of their pickup truck or something to try to prove their manhood, but, right. but rather have a very healthy understanding of what manhood is so that they would be able to measure themselves uh, correctly in a righteous way. And that's how I came up with the acronym SHAPE, the shape of a man. And basically, it's just a five-step process uh, to manhood. So S stands for submit. You can't even start down the road to manhood until you submit to the one who bestows manhood, and that's your creator. Uh, and then H is honor. Honor just means to give things its proper value, give things their proper value, uh, to value things rightly, uh, treat things that are important like they're important and treat things that are worthless like they're worthless and not the other way around. Our culture gets that messed up really badly, right? Yeah, absolutely. So 
The third thing is assess and improve that when a boy becomes a man, he stops looking, being, being egocentric or self-focused and starts looking around him and saying, well, how can I make this better? Uh, The world around him, a better place. It starts with improving himself on a continuous basis, going in and tearing out the weeds of his life uh, that grow up, the weeds of passivity, but also looking around and saying, you know, Hey, that trash needs to be picked up or Hey, that, that, you know, leaky faucet needs to be fixed or whatever. And when you start to see in your sons that they are without you telling them to making things better around them, then you know that they're becoming men. They're, you know, they're making the jump. That's great. Sure. So that's yeah. uh, assess and improve. And then uh, the, the P stands for perish and provide that uh, a, a boy, when he becomes a man, he starts to put aside his own desires to provide for the needs of others. And that's where a man is most fulfilled. That's where a man has the most meaning in his life because that's what we were made for was to die to our own desires and provide for the needs of others. And then uh, the E just stands for engage, that uh, a, a true man will be engaged in every facet of life, socially, relationally, financially, physically, spiritually, academically, you name it. He's going to be engaged in the world around him and not passive, and the passivity is the bane of modern male existence. It not only is impressed upon us from without, but it grow it wells up within us uh, as well. So we have to fight it on two fronts. And uh, the the process of being a man is the continuous process of hunting down passivity in my life and killing it, uh, and ripping it out by the roots and throwing it into the fire. Uh, so, so that's how I came up with that. And it is not only uh, made it much clearer for young men who are trying to learn what manhood means, but it also helps me every day as I go through my own, my own walk uh, to remember the things that are most important. Sure. I love the call to action there as opposed to passivity that it's, you know, you, you talked about hunting out the weeds and, and pulling them out. That's a really you know, a really good visual, I think, for how hard it is for us to as a constant battle. Even Paul talks about, you know, dying daily. I like that visual, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, With raising uh, boys, having boys, how much of what you taught them would you say was example and how much of it was, you know, with that, maybe that shape acronym, you sitting them down and explaining certain things to them? Do you have an idea of what that ratio maybe was? I, I had a very good father. Uh, I had a great dad and he did, he tried very hard to set a good example for me, but he never talked to me a whole lot. And so as I look back, some of the things that he did to try to set a good example, I actually misinterpreted and it actually caused me problems in in my life. So I'll give you an example. Uh, You know, we were at a restaurant uh, let's say, and and uh, we're sitting down. Let's say the waitress forgot to bring out uh, silverware. So rather than make a fuss or get angry or anything like that, my dad just got up and went to get the silverware himself and brought it out to the table and put it on the table. And so the example he was trying to set is that a, a man takes charge, fixes the problem, doesn't make a big deal out of the little things and things like that. But the, the, the lesson I learned from that is, holy cow, dad just walked right through that door that said employees only 
to get the silverware. <laughs> so yeah. rules are really more suggestions. They don't really apply to me. And, uh, and sure. I, you know, that, that's not even being facetious. That's, that w- it was a lesson that I got from my dad unwittingly. He didn't mean to, to teach yeah. me that, but he did. And um, so I wanted to give my sons more than that. And, and so I tried to be very intentional about talking to them and, and not just talking to them, but just talking in their hearing uh, to other men about what it meant to be a man about, about those, those sorts of little things. So that they would, again, have more than my flawed example. And I don't know what percentage they took from my example. I know that, you know, that's what you do is way more important than what you say, but I think it is important that you do say things. <laughs> and Sure. And, the clarification right. of what it is you're actually doing. Exactly. And I think that uh, the talking, made it easier as my ki- as my sons went through teenage years puberty and all that because what I did was I intentionally sat down with them be- right at the cusp as they were hitting puberty and said look you want to grow up to be a man right and they'd mm-hmm. say well yeah and I'd say great I, it's my job I God put me here as your man coach and your coach's job is to make you better than you would yeah. be on your own, to help you go further than you would go doing it yourself. So we're both on the same side here. The coach is on your team, but it's not your coach's job to make you feel comfortable, to make you happy, to make you just do whatever you want, right? Your coach pushes you to do things you wouldn't do on your own, right? So let's make a deal now. That look, I promise you, there's going to come times in the next few years that you're not going to like what I'm telling you. You're not going to be happy about what I'm making you do. But at, when those times come, let's remember this yeah. moment where we shook hands on this and we agreed that we're both on the same team and that you agreed to submit to my authority as your man coach. And let's, you know, stay on the same team here. And and they would say, okay. And so we'd make a, an agreement. And then later on when they're 16 and 17 and I'm telling them to do something or getting them at, getting after them for something that they failed to do. And they, they started to get that angry, sullen look. I'd say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you remember that agreement you made back then? Yeah. Are you going to be a man of your word? Are you going to stick to it even though you don't feel like it? You know, and I, I had a little leverage over them because of that. And, sure. Yeah, <laughs> and, I imagine uh, that's very powerful for uh, for a teenage boy. Came in handy. Yeah. Uh, so I have a, a eight-month-old daughter and a four-year-old boy who's about to be five. Real quickly, is there like a, you know, whatever you do, don't do this, uh, raising kids? We've talked a lot about what to do. <laughs> is there a, you know, a one big, hey, don't do this? Yeah, don't make them comfortable. It's not your job to make your children comfortable. It's not your job to make them happy. Um, I I say this a lot and people sort of chuckle um, as if they don't think I'm serious, but I am. Sure. I'm very serious. That good parenting, boys and girls, comes down to little more than the constructive application of misery in your children's lives to produce character. <laughs> And, yeah. you know, it's, maybe it's funny to put it that way, but I am completely serious that, that it is our job as parents to make our children uncomfortable, to push our children to do things that they wouldn't do on their own mm-hmm. and, and to, to give them small doses of misery so that they will build character. 
You don't Absolutely. build character in your children by treating them like a stuffed poodle or a toy poodle that's just sitting on your couch. Just sit there. Don't 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 do anything risky. Don't do anything dangerous. You might get hurt. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, just right. No, we want to encourage our sons to push the envelope. We want to encourage our daughters to push the envelope to to get into their out of their comfort zone and, and to to do things that that make them a little bit scared. And, and make us a little bit scared. We would rather, you know, just placate them by turning on the electronic income reducer and letting them sit there and veg out in front of the television or the, or the, or YouTube or whatever. But that is not good parenting. Good parenting is finding ways to make your kid miserable, not to hurt them, not to exasperate them, but to make them better. And I think that so many, I, it is just so frustrating to watch young parents who will not discipline their children. They let the children drive the train since they're like two years old and they, they will not just take charge and say, no, this is what is going to happen right now. I was here first. I'm bigger than you are. And I'm telling you what you're going to do right now. You, yeah. there, you cannot get to the point with your children where you are, uh, where you are uh, respected equals when they're two years old. Right. You cannot do that. I mean, the, the goal, yes, is to get to the point where your son is a respected equal with you, where, where you've made that transition from drill sergeant to private. And, and then now you're, you know, both non-commissioned officers, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You 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 want to make that transition, but in order to make that transition, there has to be the time when you are the drill sergeant and they are the private and you say jump and they say how high. You make them do what you tell them to do and you don't try to reason with a two-year-old. You don't try right. to, oh, you know, it, two-year-old's brains are not function. They're not wired to 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 reason. And so there's got to be hardship. There's got to be pain in their life. That's okay. You're not going, and the Bible is very, very clear about that. You will not destroy your child by giving him some pain and hardship. You will save your child by doing so. And uh, man, that is just not a popular sentiment today. No, it's not, but it's, uh, I I really like that definition. And like you said, it's not popular, but it's incredibly needed for sure. Yeah. Uh, in your new book, uh, Prowess, uh, you talk about prowess as the skillful display of manly power or uh, getting good at being you and therefore giving glory to God. Can you break that down or unpack that a little bit for us? As I've gone around the country speaking on the topic of making men for the last eight years, uh, I've noticed that I get the same kinds of questions over and over again from young men who hear my talk. And a lot of it has to do with, okay, I'm 20 years old and I'm getting out of college soon. And I, I'd love to, you know, find a mate and settle down and get married. And I, uh, but I, I just don't know how to do that. What I found is that young men have been treated like toy poodles for so long. Mm-hmm. They they have been you know steeped in this uh, this culture of risk avoidance for so long, and they have spent so much time interacting with devices rather than people that they have never developed those very complex and subtle arts 
of like wooing a female. And, uh, and there comes a point where, I mean, look, we want you to maintain your purity, right? We, as a young man, we want you to, to maintain control over your passions. That's good. But if you have spent so long, uh, putting a, a, a muzzle on your passions, you have to realize there comes a point where it's time to let them loose, where it's time to, to exert your prowess, your sexual prowess, your manly prowess on the world. And, and there's a right way to do that. But unfortunately, young men have in, in and out of the church, it doesn't matter, have spent so much time interacting with devices and unfortunately have spent so much time consuming pornography that they just have a very perverted, very unhealthy understanding of what that means. Yeah. And so uh, prowess is, is an attempt to answer that question. It's probably going to be my least selling book of all time because it's aimed at the <laughs> one demographic of young uh, of people in the world who read the least. Sure. But I, but for those who are willing to do the work, this is an old lion sitting down across the table from a young lion and saying, all right, son, here's how you get yourself a woman. Here's how you get yourself a girl. Here's what girls are wired to need. You know, here's the secrets of getting a girlfriend. Here's the secrets of getting a job, of being successful in life. And uh, one of the other things I find that's really unfortunate is that uh, so few young men today actually have a mentor, an older man who will mentor them and will will help them. And I've gotten emails from these guys for years. They send me the, I get the same emails over and over again. I don't have anybody to talk to about this stuff. Nobody will teach me what I have to do. And so prowess is me offering my experience and experience born from lots of mis- mistakes, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, my experience to young men and uh, giving them a, a resource to to be able to learn those lessons. Sure, that's that's phenomenal. And I know, as a young man growing up, I was able to spend a lot of time with specifically my father and two of the men uh, in a singing group um, that we were in. And I know that really shaped a lot of who I am. Uh, was the time I was able to spend with three older men. The the, right. the next oldest one for me was seven years older. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next two were about, uh, 25 years older. Uh, yeah, that's great. That's- well, you know, there's just so few young men that have that opportunity anymore. A hundred years ago, when a guy was eight years old, a kid, kid, you know, was eight or nine years old, he would be, as, as soon as he got home from school, he'd be out in the fields working with the men. He'd be out throwing hay or digging post holes or whatever men were doing. He'd right. be, he'd be hanging around with the men. And so he got lots of time seeing how men interact and seeing what they do and, and kind of getting those lessons taught firsthand guys today. They don't get that so much. They, their teachers are mostly women. Their Sunday school teachers are mostly women. Even their scout leaders anymore are women. If they're not a transvestite, right. God forbid. But yeah. so, uh, so they just don't get to spend time around godly men very much. And that's a real tragedy. So this is an attempt to sort of, uh, you know, write the course a little bit. Sure. Well, I'm sure it'll it'll grow and I'm sure it'll be appreciated. How do you find the balance uh, between prowess for pride's sake? Like, you know, I, I want to be good at all these things because I'm a man. 
and prowess, you know, for the sake of God's glory. Because, uh, again, we can get kind of prideful and like, oh, I want to be good at my job because I want to make money. And you kind of talked about that a little bit in your story. But, you know, how do you find that that balance of prowess for God's glory? I think we've all seen the guy at the mall that, uh, you know, he's got tattoos all over. He's got the muscle shirt and he's like swaggering down the hallway, you know, and everybody, you, know, you can tell that guy, you know, uh, uh, we see that on TV. Uh, yeah, yeah. Heaven forbid, if your kids ever get a glimpse of like, like uh, ultimate fighting or something, you know, you see this, <laughs> this prideful display of arrogant manhood. Uh, but I mean, what I try to explain in the book Prowess is that uh, in reality, that is the picture of a scared little boy who has sure. built himself a facade of tough guy manhood to try to fool the world into thinking he's got what it takes. And the guys that I have met who are, let's say, SEAL Team 6 operators or mm-hmm. guys from Delta Force, guys who literally have – definitely have what it takes and who don't have anything to prove to anybody because they do it every day. Those guys by and large don't act that way. Those guys feel free to just be themselves and to be goofy and fun and just, just enjoy doing what they do. They don't feel the need to go around with a scowl on their face and try to look like a tough guy because they are tough guys. Right. And, and nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna tell them otherwise. Right. So, so I think that's the difference. And that's the picture that I try to present in prowess is that, uh, you know, that stallion uh, that, that is incredibly powerful that could, you know, pull a, there's so, he's so muscular and powerful and everything. He's worthless if he doesn't bridle that, if he doesn't muzzle that, if he doesn't submit it to a higher authority. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I know also in prowess, you mentioned, um, and even in, you know, kind of your story, some of the mistakes that you, you did make and you were maybe on track to make. Um, But you're very honest and forthright in the book about some of those. Why, is uh, being honest about those things, first of all, in, in your book, so important. But then for us as men, why is honesty such an integral part? If if I'm only showing you the Facebook version of myself, uh, we, we know that that's, you know, that's kind of what it is. On Facebook, everybody just puts up all the greatest things they're doing. and how Yeah, the highlight reel. Right. It's the highlight reel of their life. And it's actually depressing for other people because they know all of the struggles that they're facing. And they, they just feel like I'm the only one that's facing this. And so what I have found is that as I have shared the deepest, darkest points of my life, those are the ones that really resonate with people. Those are the ones that people say, wow, that really helped me just to know that you went through that and came out the other side or that, you know, you're even still struggling with these things. Uh, You know, it's like what, you put the filter on uh, when I put the filter on our uh, internet years ago and told my sons, all right, look, there's a filter on the internet. And if you guys, you know, are looking at stuff you shouldn't be, I'm going to know about it. And my oldest son was like, what, you don't trust me. And I said, son, (laughs) I said, son, I don't trust me. Right. I don't trust any of us. We all need this. And that, you know, that shut that argument down in a hurry. I mean, to, to understand that, look, we all still still deal with this stuff. 
that uh, um, I think it just makes it more approachable, makes it more real. Absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons I like uh, the book of Psalms so much um, is David is just so honest and yeah, he's straightforward it all about out the way there. he's thinking. Absolutely. Um, so in, you know, you talk a lot about um, the inactivity or the passivity of men. And uh, you, again, you travel a lot, you speak a lot. Is is it possible to take the call to manhood to a man who's not looking for it? You know, can you shake uh, a man out of his stupor against his will, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I've had that happen a lot, actually. Guys who did not think that they had anything wrong with their lives. Um, I mean, I, had, I give you several examples, really. Uh, there, there's a guy who... Um, he was married for about eight years and thought everything was going great and came home one day and his wife was gone and she left a note and said, I can't take this anymore. I'm out of here. And he was like, what, like what happened? Yeah. Wow. And uh, he picked up the book, making men and started reading through it and started just realizing that he, he was not reading through it. He didn't read the book for himself. He was reading through it for his son. Like, Oh, I'm going to teach my son how to be a good man, you know? And he, but as he started going through it, he started saying, wait a minute, I'm deficient here. And I, you know, as, as that measuring stick was held up to his own life, he started to see lots of things wrong in his own life. And he started making a list of the things that he wanted to change about himself in the front of the book. When he was done with the book, he sent it, he, he mailed it to his ex-wife or not. And she was, they were separated. He mailed it to her and said, I just want you to know that everything I've written in the front of this book is about to change. And she wrote wow. back and said, are you serious about that? And he said, I absolutely. And she said, okay, I'm coming home then. Uh, so uh, I've had story after story about that where uh, wow. a guy, you know, just doesn't, sometimes it's very hard for us to see the passivity that we wallow in every day until somebody holds up a mirror in front of us or or not only holds up a mirror, just tells about their own struggles in those areas. Mm -hmm. I know I've seen that a lot where I've, I know it's easy to see the passivity in other guys. And so I'll, I'll notice it in a guy and just be like, gosh, that guy's being so passive. And he he doesn't even realize that the reason his kids hate him and his wife resents him is because of his own passivity. And if he would just address that, things would get better in his life. It's easy to see. And then within a day or two, the Holy Spirit will turn that around and kind of stab me in the gut with it. the same the <laughs> same thing and go like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. That hurts. I guess I need right. to change some things about my life too. Sure. Um, one, uh, one last question, I guess. Two, actually, two questions. Um, how do attitudes uh, towards manhood or manhood in general differ uh, through the different countries that you travel in? Um, you, you go to a bunch of different places. Are there... First of all, is the condition of manhood different? And then are there attitudes towards like what manhood is uh, any different? Uh, that's a really great question. I could write a book about that. Uh, the, <laughs> the thing that I notice most is that in the United States, we try to defer manhood as long as possible. Uh, it's to the point now, I think you can be 26 years old and still be on your parents' health insurance. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the Bible, in, in, in ancient times, uh, almost every culture considered a boy to be a man when he was between 12 and 14 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Jesus in the story where he is 
you know, he gets separated from his parents and they find him in the synagogue teaching. If you read that closely, he, he went like three to five days on his own in a major metropolitan city at 12 years old. Uh, and nobody freaked out. Nobody called child protective services. No, you know, he found a place to sleep and found food to eat and was about his father's business. He was considered to be a man. And in many of the countries where I go, uh, uh, young there, you'll, it's not unlike uh, uncommon to find a 13 or 14 or 15 year old boy. Who's the head of the household. Um, sure. they, they are considered to be ready for manhood much earlier than we do in the United States. But I think that's a mistake on our part because I've found that when you treat a 12 or 13 or 14 year old, like, all right, son, it's time for you to step it up. It's time for you to put away childish things and pick up manly things. Mm -hmm. They are fully capable of doing that and they want to. Right. Uh, so my goal with my own sons, I, and I would tell them flat out is that I want to give you everything you need to be a full-fledged man by the time you're 12 to 14 years old. Not every young man is the same. You know, every kid's uh, different. But, uh, you know, you can gauge when they're ready. And I, that means I'm going to teach you to drive. I'm going to teach you to hunt. I'm going to teach you to fix things. I'm going to teach you uh, about the Bible. I'm going to, you know, share with you my own very intimate details of my own failures so that you won't make those mistakes. Um, I think that we do so much to try to shelter our children. And even when they're not children, uh, you know, all the way into their mid thirties at this point, you know, we've tried so much to shelter kids, uh, yeah. and don't let them move out of adolescence. And that's a big mistake. Adolescence seems to be the end all and be all of American culture. Now, even old men want to be adolescents, you know, that yeah, yeah. is nothing more pitiful than seeing the, the 50 plus year old youth minister that's running around with a little soul patch and got his hair up in a little, you know, <laughs> little Superman hairdo kind of thing. Trying yeah. to look like a teenager. I mean, that's Absolutely. sad. That's sad. Yeah. Look, there's a reason God gives us gray hair and it's a, it's a crown of glory for us. And we should, we should be very satisfied if we can live long enough to get gray hair. Uh, Cause I know a lot of guys that, that weren't that fortunate. And uh, I, I think that, um, you know, we should stop vilifying old age and start start respecting it like it once was. Absolutely. That's good. Uh, and then one last thing. This is, I know, a very broad uh, question, but is there, you know, as we as we leave here, um, is there a one bit of wisdom, you know, whether I'm 31 and if there's an 18 year old young man listening to this or, a, you know, a 50 year old man, is there a bit of wisdom that you would say would you would pass along to anyone yeah to a young man i would i would say stop believing the lies that the world is telling you that you're not yet able to take on the mantle of manhood if you're 18 years old you're a man and you should be you know a hundred years ago an 18 year old he could form a family he could start a business he could uh you know travel across the country or the world on his own he could hunt things kill things fix things build things today's 18 year olds can play halo really well or play you know fortnite or something right like children and that's about yeah. it yeah if you're 18 years old get off your butt leave your house separate yourself from your mother and father 
and go someplace and get out of your comfort zone. Be a man and uh, stop listening to the world tell you you're not ready yet that, oh, you've got to have your college degree or, oh, you've got to have a, a good job and, oh, you've got to have a house. Look, and and don't believe the lie that you've got to be 35 years old and have your career established before you can get married. If you've mm-hmm. if you've been fortunate enough to find a woman who isn't made physically ill by the sight of you, and you're <laughs> ready to to you're ready to you know accept the call to care for this one daughter of God for the rest of her life with every breath. And that means that you'll provide for her, you'll protect her, and you'll you'll give her affection. That's all. If you're prepared to make that commitment and you're only 18 or 19 years old, then marry the girl. Do it. You think it's going to be easier when you're 35? It's going to be harder. Right. You're going to go through hardship no matter what. Putting two lives together isn't easy. But the world lies to you and tells you that, you know, and now we've got guys that are 40 years old that are having their first children. What a travesty that is, because you're never going to get to know your grandkids. You're going to be dead before your kids have kids. And that's so sad that, you know, look, get married and struggle together and you can you can hold each other up. You're not going to be in that burning zone where you're just like dying to have sex because you you know, you know you're not supposed to, but you you hit puberty at 14 and now what, right? Right. Look, just just get married and stay married and don't listen to the world's lies and you you'll be all right. Well, Chuck Holton, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate uh, your passion and uh, what you're trying to do for uh, men and getting them uh, to submit to their creator and to be the kind of man that he has created them to be. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Real pleasure to be on with you. Thanks a lot. And good good luck with this podcast. And may God bless your efforts to serve him. Wow. There's just so much good stuff to unpack there. Uh, so let's put this into immediate action. Grab a piece of paper and a pen. First, is there an area in your life where you are putting a manhood role uh, protector, provider, etc., in front of obedience to God. Uh, in Chuck's story, he talked about, um, you know, his job and how that got in the way of, could have gotten in the way of, of missing time with his children and how he didn't let that. What is it in your life that you are putting in front of obedience to God? Maybe you already know, you know, God's specifically calling you to do a certain thing and you're putting something else in front of that. What is that? Um, maybe you don't. Maybe you're not sure of that, but uh, pray on that. Find out what you might have in your life that you are putting in front of uh, what God really has you to do and to be. Next, Chuck talked about the SHAPE acronym um, and having creeds and rituals to measure yourself by. Um, if you don't already, write down a creed. And you may need to take some time and think about this, but uh, what do you live by on a daily basis? You know, SHAPE, five letters. Um, usually you don't want to have a ton um, three to five to six um, is, is a good place to settle if you're going to go with that kind of thing, or even, um, you know, statements. Three to five is, is about where you want to be. But if you don't have one, uh, figure out what the essence of your Christian life is. What does it mean to you? What is, when you look in the Bible or you look at your life, uh, what is your essence? What can you boil your goals and your life down to? And then write it down and then live by it. Next, uh, we talked several times about being passive. 
So write down some areas in your life where you are not taking action. What steps can you take to hunt down uh, the passivity in your life? What is it that you are just letting slip by the wayside? Um, first, you have to identify it. Then you have to take the steps to fix it. Uh, and God's calling in your life, we can't afford to uh, be passive. We can't afford to let someone else take the lead. And again, that doesn't mean we change our dependence on God. That doesn't mean we take control from him. Um, but he does give us freedom and leeway uh, when we do serve him and once he's given us a command to take full control of that command. And uh, we can't afford to be passive. We can't afford to just sit back in this crazy world and let things happen around us. We need to take charge and take action. So what in your life are you allowing to grow up as a, I love the term he used, as a weed of passivity? Find it, pull it out, identify it. Lastly, in what areas can you push, uh, he talked about his kids specifically, but push your kids or maybe yourself um, beyond your comfort zone. Uh, you know, we tend to settle into being comfortable. That's just, especially if you're an American Christian, uh, the odds are you live a pretty comfortable life, especially compared to the rest of the world. Uh, but where can you take a leap or take a challenge? Where can you just push yourself into something uncomfortable, even if it's just a little bit? And then you can grow towards something bigger. For me, uh, this podcast was a huge leap of faith um, and something incredibly uncomfortable to do. Um, but it might be something small. One of the things I did recently was uh, I changed to a straight razor from a safety razor. It's just a small little thing, but it is uncomfortable to use and to learn how to use a little bit. And it made me feel cool to use it. But, um, but it was just a little bit outside of my comfort zone. And I learned a new thing. Um, because I didn't want to do something the easy way. And uh, so get outside of what's easy. Get outside of what is is maybe your comfort zone and uh, challenge yourself, challenge your family to do something uh, that will stretch you, that will grow you, that will make you uncomfortable. Well, that wraps up today's show. You can find Chuck online on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And I will also link... Uh, his site in the description where you can buy some of his books. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, find Shepherds and Kings. Uh, and of course, you can listen to this podcast on multiple uh, podcast players. Uh, but please take some time to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Please just go by and, and do that. That helps other men find us and uh, helps us be a little bit more visible. And we appreciate you taking the time to do that. Um, and then lastly, share this with another man. Um, tell someone else about this episode if you enjoyed it. Um, and maybe another episode if you like that better, but uh, help someone else find uh, the help that they need. Well, that's all I have for you guys. Remember, be the shepherd or the king that God has called you to be. Mm-hmm.